Hello out there. This is Pamela Fagan Hutchins and you are with us on Wine, Women in Writing. Whether you found us via live streaming or YouTube or a podcast, welcome. I'm glad you're here. This is the show where I talk with other authors about primarily their awesome female characters and how they developed them and how they made them authentic and complex and a lot like you and me. Um, I am going to have a really fun guest on today. Before we get to that, I wanted to remind you, because I have to, that this is a solely owned and copyrighted production of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Uh, I also want to encourage you that if you want to see past shows, there's nearly 100 of them now, and if you want to prep for upcoming shows by seeing the authors and the books we're going to be um, come, you know, coming to next, please go out to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com. And while you're there, you can also find some of my books as well. It never hurts my feelings if you read me as well as my awesome guests. So speaking of awesome guests, today I have... Annie A.M. Giver, author of Love in an Undead Age from her fantastic, I'm going to let her say the name of the series, zombie series. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. And the series is The Undead Age. It's not terribly imaginative since that's in the title, but <laughs> that's the best I could come up with. <laughs> I love it. So you guys, um, Annie is coming to me in Wyoming all the way from, where are you today? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we were just comparing notes that it's 58 degrees and I've got these low hanging fog clouds below the house here. And you have uh, sweltering humidity in the low 80s and it's really overcast. We have less sunny days than Seattle. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And see, that's not a well-known fact. No, no. Everyone think, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's that much and it's not like we don't get sun, but per year it's less. Well, I, you know, that's, it's still beautiful. I think it's one of the prettiest cities. Pittsburgh's a wonderful place. So I, I lived in California for almost 20 years in two stints and, you know, came home and uh, to be close to family and, and whatnot. And, you know, I'm really glad I'm here. I did a few years ago. I did one summer. I did um, 60 cities in 60 days on a book tour. And so I pretty much got to go around the country and decide where my favorite places were. And um, I will not go through the whole list now, but Pittsburgh's on it. I really just truly and genuinely love Pittsburgh. So um, now we are not here, though to talk about Pittsburgh. I say this I'm right right as she's like choking and gonna take a, a sip <laughs> of coffee. I'd be fine if I hadn't taken a drink of my tea. But. <laughs> um, we are here to talk about our zombie books and I'm gonna make a confession. <laughs> I don't read zombie books. I do read A.M. Giver. I have been totally shocked. I love her books. And when she first pitched me, um, I was thinking, Mm, no, no, not zombie books. And then I went out and read your profile on um, Amazon and I read your f email and you were just freaking hilarious. And I was like, okay, I'm totally reading this book. I want to talk to this woman. <laughs> so um, where, where did your inspiration to write zombies come from? Um, you know, I've always liked, I grew up in a family where there were lots of interest in like monster movies and ghost stories and things like yeah. that. And, um, but as far as zombies go, 
Uh, and something that people who don't read a lot of um, zombie books don't understand is that zombie books, unless it's written from the point of view of the zombie, they're never about zombies. They're about the survivors, the human survivors, or and you know what they're trying to do to survive. And that's what I find really interesting. You know, like how do people manage it? What kind of choices do they have to make in order to survive? How do those choices affect them? for better or for worse. And um, so it's the people, it's the survival aspect. And um, and that's what I like about post-apocalyptic fiction. It's not the only genre I read, of course. Yeah. Um, I read a whole lot of stuff, but, but that's what I like about it. I like the survival element and how people do or don't cope with these drastically changed circumstances. So you've said something that as a writer and a writer who teaches writing is so important to me, you get asked a lot about, you know, how do you come up with characters? How do you come up with situations? And I said, you know, most writers are just writing about the part of real life that they understand and that interests them. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's at its core, most stories are about people, right? And, and like you're saying, how they cope, et cetera. And very rarely do you get that point of view of the zombie. By the way, that's my Boston Terrier. Petey, shut up. Um, it's going to snore this whole time. But it is very much the case with your books that when I dove into them, it was really, really interesting human interest and relationship stuff. In fact, the title is kind of a giveaway that it's gonna be about more than zombies. When I first saw your title, all I could think of was love in the time of cholera. Do you ever get that? <laughs> I get that all if I look my book up, that always comes up first. I was like, maybe someday mine will come up first, but probably never. <laughs> but it's a good, it's a good connotation because it makes you think, okay, you know, this is about real life human people and their relationships in a bad, dark time, right? It's not about the gore, if you will. There is gore. I'm going to tell you there is some gore, but that's not the focus of the book. The focus of the book is Miranda. So let's talk about Miranda. How did you come up with your, basically your kick-ass female character? She really is amazing. Um. Well, sorry, it's just started to rain. I was checking the window. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, obviously I wanted Miranda to be really kick-ass. You know, I wanted her because, you know, well, first off, my book is set 10 years after the zombie apocalypse. Uh, the vast majority of zombie apocalypse books are while it's happening. And um, and I wasn't interested in that at the time I was writing this book because I didn't really feel like I had a lot I could add at that time. Um, you know, there's only so many ways you can survive. There are some pretty basic things that you need in order to survive. And so I decided to set my book 10 years later because that way I could it, I could play with how do things play out. Um, so um, so Miranda's living in this place that you know she's living in Silicon Valley where you know the geek factor kicked in after the dust settled and you know they've maintained a really pretty high standard of living, a pretty modern standard of living. Um, of course, there are some trade-offs for that. Um, because it's it's a very dystopian kind of, of place for certain classes of people. So, but for Miranda, I wanted her to be someone who, uh, Miranda is what I like to think I would be if I lived through the zombie apocalypse and had not done 10 years of therapy. Um, <laughs> Miranda, Miranda is rampantly dysfunctional. But, yeah. So <laughs> writing about well-adjusted people is really boring. 
<laughs> I always think of like Melanie Wilkes from Gone with the Wind, which is a wonderful book. And Melanie's a wonderful character, but she's always so nice and good yeah. about everything. And it's just like, come on, aren't you going to get mad? Well, you notice she didn't get the lead part, right? You know, we got the flawed Scarlet because that's what's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I wanted Miranda to have... I wanted, uh, you know, I knew what I wanted her to be. I wanted her to be tough. Uh, I wanted her to be dysfunctional. I wanted her to have a very um, strong sense of right and wrong, which really helped me as the storyline developed because the love story completely changed. It wasn't supposed to be what it ended up being, but that was nice because it gave me a really nice contradiction to work with um, because Miranda does have a really strong sense of right and wrong. And she has lived through this experience that has taught her that if you don't take something now, you will miss your chance. Tomorrow may never happen. So, right. you know, so you end up with people making choices that they never would have made in the old world, but they've their reality has been so altered that they're, and that's the other thing, lived experience is something I find really interesting because, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, I'll do this or I'll do that until you get presented with the situation. And then all of a sudden it's you and it's your life. And it's, it looks very different. I thought you did a really nice job of, especially because folks, there is a free prequel that gives the, what do you call it? The, um, the catalytic event that yes. takes you back to the zombie apocalypse and you get to see the characters as they were then. So for me, there was a real payoff, honestly, going back and seeing how they were then and right. how they then progressed through the books because you get Miranda flawed. She's got some serious mental health issues. She's got serious trust issues. You know, she's very paranoid, understandably, you know, hi kitty. Um, I just saw this cattail go through the screen. Oh, um, I would bring all of my five animals in the house in, but if it started, it would never end. But you've got these people who are what they are after they've had 10 years to grow tough. And Miranda was not someone you would think of as tough back in the origin story. There, I came up with it. Back at the origin story, she was kind of a wimp. You know, oh, she, was, yeah. she, was not the, she was the weak link. Um, it's a miracle the girl didn't get herself at. And then you get to Love and an Undead Age and the second book, Damage and Undead Age. And her development is amazing and yet here comes that geeky um writing teacher again it still made sense it was still within character for her character to have developed the way it did and i really appreciated that i love characterization you could probably have guessed that from my show but um anyway so thank you for that thank you for not going out of left field and, and <laughs> No, oh, as I read. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because people say, well, how would you survive? I was like, right now, unless I made it the eighth of a mile down to my friend's house, who is basically MacGyver, I'm going to die. You know, I'm middle-aged, um, out of shape. I'm working on losing like 10 pounds. You know, I have no illusions that like, you know, unless I make it down the street or get really lucky, you know, I, 
we'll probably be shambling around wanting to eat people's brains. So we laugh up where I live. I live on the face of a mountain. Our nearest neighbor mm -hmm. is about um, a half mile away, but <laughs> no one, we live way out of town. Anyway, we're up on this hill with all off the grid, you know, solar power and stuff. And then we've got some neighbors that have tons of guns and ammo and MREs. And we've got some that garden and some that raise cows. And we're like, just bring it on up the hill to our place and come take care of us because we've yeah. got the gun turrets. We're fine here. Um, we'll be the last community standing. So, well, yeah. yeah, there are definitely some advantages. And um, Wyoming's beautiful. I went to Wyoming, gosh, in the late, early 2000s. Um, I was dating a guy at the time who was from outside of Riverton, and his dad was an outfitter. So we did this uh -huh. backcountry horseback trip, which was amazing and and you know and it was funny because i lived in california and at the time i was like yeah i live on the west coast but now i'm going to the west california is <laughs> not the west you no, know no it's not right. and but it would be uh, california i would not want to be there for a zombie apocalypse at mm -hmm. all which is of course where the book's set in northern right. california wyoming a great place to be for the zombie apocalypse way better way better, way better. But but you have it set in Sacramento. Am I oh, remembering? Silicon Valley. In Silicon Valley. Valley. Sorry about that. Sorry. Well, to me, it's all just you know, me and California. California. And they all a lot of begin with us. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody out there from California. I love to visit. You're just not going to catch me living there, which is good news for you guys. However, quit moving to my state. All my neighbors are from California. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's it's got its pressures of its own. The high population. It's got the needs of feeding. Uh, large numbers of people without distribution networks and manufacturing, industrial farming, et cetera. And in fact, Miranda gets involved in that. So yeah. tell us about her saving the world. Well, Miranda becomes a farmer. Um, you know, she, um, in the book, I have her, you know, interested in agriculture, but it was kind of like from a uh, more of an environmental, well, this isn't in the book, but my backstory for her is it's, it's kind of from an environmental standpoint and, you know, eating locally food production. But anyway, she ends up, you know, getting involved in wanting to build these vertical farms, um, which are like super cool. Super my cool. husband introduced them to me. And for those who are unfamiliar, they're basically these big vertical greenhouses. And so they don't have a big footprint in terms of space space if, because they're high and like you can build them with like solar power and thermodynamic power and and the whole idea is that if you have a more controlled environment you can you can have um, more control over crop uh, success or failure and you can also do organic farming and and um, because the whole idea is that they're organic farms is that they don't have as much um, crop loss, you know, um, as, as normal organic farming. And then the other thing about them is like, the idea is if you have them in cities, if you have them in more populated areas, or even just in suburbs, if you have a big disruption in supply lines, you're not going to run out of food in three days. Yeah. Um, because most cities will run out of food within like three to five days. So, you know, when I found those, um, I was like, wow, these are like super cool, you know, and wouldn't it be neat? And I don't think it ever will happen. Um, you know, and, you know, like California does have a, a huge amount of agriculture in the Central Valley, but, you know, you've got to get the water there. And as far as for my characters, it might as well be on the moon. So. Might as well be on the moon. Exactly. I actually have a friend 
whose kid is in San Francisco doing vertical farming and they're oh, doing no it. Way. Yeah, and they're doing it with the fish. What did they call that again? Where the yeah, fish uh, ag, uh, ag, aquaculture. Aquaculture. And so the fish poop fertilizes and, you know, oh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, he's from where we are in the Virgin Islands and he's out there doing vertical farming. Yeah, and I, I think you're seeing it right now on a smaller scale, more like for restaurants and experimental and get a grant and do this and stuff. But in the 10 years post-apocalypse where they don't have access to the farmland anymore and they're locked in a city, it's absolutely survival necessity. So she's like practically has to protect it like a warrior, you know, and it, you know, just every element of her life becomes about um, a fight, you know. In some ways, yes, very much so. I mean, there's there's this just there's this very repressive society in San Jose, and then there's another community. Um, at Santa Clara University, which is where I used to work. I, I worked there for most of the time that I was um, that I was writing the book. And it's a Catholic Jesuit university. And because you know, I, my husband and I, he was helping me brainstorm. And I was like, well, there's got to be some counterbalance. There's got to be some good group. And it just made sense, you know, because yeah. Jesuits are very and, and a lot of Catholic orders are really into um, social justice and the preferential option for the poor in the gospels. So it just made sense to me that they would be the people who would, who would be a counterbalance to these really corrupt people who are running San Jose and they're very near each other. I mean, it's, it's, you can get to San Jose from Santa Clara. They butt each other, you know, in 10 minutes. So, um, but it becomes different when you're dodging zombies and people trying to get into your community. And suddenly that 10 minutes is like the valley of death. So your background is that you're trained in theology, yes. um, which I also thought added a lot to the books. You know, the, the whole idea of how does this happen? Um, how does how does you know in a in a world where there should be some good? How do bad things like this happen to people? How do you get past them? The Jesuits versus you know the non-religious in the society was a really cool factor as well for me. Well, you know it's so funny because when I wrote the book, I wasn't even thinking about that at all. Um, I was just using the the building blocks that I thought made sense in the area at the time, and then. I mean, I don't know why I didn't think about it, but, you know, and, and then there's, you know, there's another religious group later on and, and yeah. they have their own take on things. And, you know, so to crazy, people, they're oh, crazy. Spoiler. <laughs> um, yeah. And people, um, but, you know, readers said, oh, well, I love this, like, you know, exploration of, of religious faith. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess so. That, that's great. I wasn't thinking about it really. Um, but, but that's another thing that um, kind of fits into the whole idea of what happens to people when presented with different situations is, well, I mean, one of the, the reason I ended up going to grad school, because I, I, I ended up not getting ordained. Um, I went to a Unitarian Universalist seminary and in terms of like my life and personal development, fabulous, great, so glad I did it. But I, I, I decided not to get ordained. And, um, but for as long as I can remember, I have always, wondered are people fundamentally good or fundamentally bad because people can do such wonderful things and they can do such terrible things and sometimes the same person can do both right. um, eventually i've eventually um 
settled on people are people and they can do a lot of different things. Um, but still, they, that, that's still that question. You know, I have days when I'm like, people are fabulous. And I have other days when I hate people. Um, <laughs> yep, you'd fit in in Wyoming. Um, and, and I loved that. Um, I love the idea of what faith exists after all hope seems to be lost too. Mm -hmm. And what part does re-emerging faith or holding on to faith play in a world where there's so much fear and there's so much despair, you know, et cetera. So whether you mean to or not, and, you know, it sounds like it was a lucky accident for us because it's ingrained in your, in your psyche, it's there. And I know we talked um, a bit beforehand about um, my readers, your readers, my readers tend to read stuff that is PG, you know, to, to low R. I got in a lot of trouble with my mother um, for a book that had F words in it um, and readers. I've been scolded. Oh, Pamela, that language, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and this book definitely falls over into the, the R rated. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of F bombs. There's a lot of swearing after the apocalypse. So, you know, if that's not your speed, you're probably not going to like my book. Now, that said, my dad is from Ireland and his, he hasn't read the whole book. He's read bits and pieces, but two of his sister, his two sisters, both of them are nuns and, you know, they're in their eighties now. And uh, my aunts live in Texas. Um, their orders there, they're retired. And um, my, and, you know, I sent the book to everybody and my, my uh, aunt Eleanor, um, she said, I found out she's reading my book. <laughs> she's like a four years old or so. She's a nun. And of course, the only thing I could think of was, oh my God, it has sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, and she, you know, we talked about it and she said, um, she said, you know, I wasn't planning to read it. But, you know, I, I just thought I'd look at a couple of pages, but it was so good that I kept reading it. And, that sh and, uh, and, so, and it, so I told her, I said, well, you know, when I first heard you were reading it, I was like both <laughs> excited and horrified. <laughs> I said, you know, you're an adult, you know, <laughs> uh, yes. you understand that, they, you know, it's just I don't know why, because, you know, they, they've done so much work in the community with helping disadvantaged and underserved communities that like, my answer probably more they're exposed to it in some ways. And the thing about to me about the inclusion of profanity and sex in a book is if it makes sense for the characters and it has purpose in the book and it's not gratuitous, then right. to me, it's part of the story that should be there and is expected. I know not everybody feels that way. And right. I certainly I've written a series for you people. It's the Patrick Flint series. Um, but it is to me in this book, it is not jarring. It is exactly what I would have expected. People have had to become rougher, more live in the moment. Take take what you have now when you can. Tomorrow's not promised. It fit very well for me. Plus, you're freaking hysterical. Some of it was just so funny um, that it was just like, oh my gosh. But uh, I would say that for those that just can't stand the F-bombs, don't read it. It's not for you. But for those who are kind of on the fence, I want to say something. And that is, I don't take a lot of unsolicited bids, pitches for interviews. I don't take a lot of, I don't think any, unsolicited pitches for zombie books. I did for Annie. And that's because the girl can flat out write. These books are really good. I have so many books by really, we won't name them because they come on my show sometimes. No, no one that's ever been on my show. No one that's ever planned to be. People that want to come on my show where I have to read the books to decide whether to come on my show. And I'm like, 
I know you're famous, but this is stinky. <laughs> but with Annie, it was like, oh crap, she has to be on the show because this girl can flat, this middle-aged woman has that. <laughs> I say that, I'm 54. 54, lady. <laughs> this woman can flat out write. The books are so good. And I just devoured them. Honestly, I just devoured them. And my husband would be like, what are you reading? I'm like, the zombie book. Can you believe it? And anyway, so you were. Oh, you. That's, that's really, really kind of you to say. So well, you know, I said it. my aunt said to me was, well, you know, Annie, you're a very good writer. And I, and I, and I hope that you will write about more than zombies. I hope you write about something. It was so cute because she said it like four times. You know, it was thing. And I was like, I got to write about something other than zombies just for Ann Eleanor. There you go. Just one off. See how it goes for you. There's many other ways to end the world, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and you know, you mentioned about, um, you know, it made sense for the characters. That's one of the hardest. That was one of the hardest things for me to learn as a writer because I would think, oh, I could have them do this. And I would kill myself writing these scenes. And then it's, it gets there and it's like, you know, this, this is great, but it's not moving the story forward, you know? So like there was, there was something, I had them go on this adventure to this, this iconic bookstore in, in, in Portland in the second book. And it was like three chapters long and I busted my behind and then you got to it and like every single beta reader was like, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. And you know, when I looked at it again, I was like, yeah, they're absolutely right. So like, you know, for this last book, every time I had this, oh, they could do this, they could do that. I was like, or maybe not. Why don't you outline it first and see if it makes sense? Right. You know? Ask the characters what they want to do next. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're so unruly. I thought writers were just talking out their ear. I thought that was something writers just said. It was like, well, I didn't plan this, but the character led me this way. And and um but you, know, but, but, but you know sometimes they just get this like uh, you know the doug was supposed to die in the first book he was supposed to die at the end but you know what he was so fun to write yeah and i was like I'd, I'd be an idiot if i if i got <laughs> so you know so it's so yeah they just take on their own lives and and you're almost just along for the ride sometimes. The more real you let them become, the more you let them try to tell you what to do instead of enforce your will, the more authentic they become, the less unnatural and awkward they become. When we try to write it as opposed to, like when I do first drafts, I kind of just let it come over me. Like I do it as fast as I can without editing myself or censoring myself because I'm trying to let it move authentically. But we write those book scenes in Portland when the writer's trying to think too hard. You know, when you're trying to say, what would be really cool? What would I want to do if it was my last chance? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe I would love, the book lover in me would love to get to Powell's and like have yeah. a whole bookstore to myself. But it just ended up not Don't working. Not yeah, working. but you know, it, it, kudos to you that it only took you, you know, your first book to discover that um, because well, some people it, never figure it out. <laughs> I'll probably do it again. And I'll probably have people say, it's not moving the story forward. You have to cut it. And I'll have to feel sad for a day and then cut like, it. Why are they so mean to me? Why, why don't they get me? <laughs> I always get so nervous when I, when I have people take a look at it because, you know, you never know what they're going to say, but, um, you know, and there's things you really like and you know, I have to remind myself, don't get too attached. But, you yeah. know, then they also have like these amazing ideas and they're like, you know, you really missed an opportunity here. 
And, um, and I'm always so grateful when people say that because I'm so in my, this is where I'm going with the story that, you know, you, you miss other opportunities. So, so like yeah. nobody writes a book on their own, you know, yeah. like you might do the heavy lifting in terms of telling the story and whatnot, but if a book you would write in a vacuum, I think would not be nearly as good as a book when you've got people who are critiquing and suggesting and, you know, helping remove those blinkers. That's right. We wear blinders. So what's up next for AM Giver? Um, well, I hadn't planned to, but I actually am writing another zombie series. Um, <laughs> By the time I got done with the first book, I was so sick of zombies. I was like, I'm never, this is a standalone. I'm never writing about zombies again. But then some time passed and and, and I decided I, I could do it. But I, I am actually going to write um, another series. It's going to be in the same universe of the Undead Age. However, it's going to be actually set in Pittsburgh. And it's going to be at the very beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Because I came up with... Uh, with an idea for it that is interesting to me. Whether it will be interesting to anyone else, I don't know, but it is it is interesting to me. I'm also planning a um, kind of a, a plague series, for lack of a better word. Um, it'll COVID be- COVID series, no, I'm kidding. Series. Well, you know what? I, I, I started it as a short story and um, in January or like December of, ni- uh, of uh, 2019, and um, for this for this anthology, and then I thought, you know, I actually have a series here, you know. Yeah. But like, I was writing it like in February, and then March, and then and COVID's like blowing up, and you channeled it. It was a little too weird. Um, it was kind of strange, but um, but that'll end up being YA, which again, I've never wanted to write to write YA. I find some of the conventions of YA really annoying. Yeah. Um, but. I came up with this character, the 16 year old boy, and you know, I want to write his story. So, um, so, you know, there's that. And then I, I have a couple like straight up sci-fi ideas, um, that I really want to write. And I've just, it's just like trying to juggle it all, you know, is, is very, um, frustrating. I need like 75 hours a day in a like, 12 day <laughs> week to be able to like, you know, get everything done. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like I need to let you get back to it. You don't want to write. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you being on the show today. This has been a lot of fun to chat with you. The books, again, you guys are Love in an Undead Age from the um, Undead Age series. Right. Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and it's a complete series now because the third book just released yesterday on, on May 25th. So um, there's Love damage and then reckoning in an undead age so you know if you if you don't like waiting you know you don't have to well now shoot i'm gonna fall behind on my project now that there's a third <laughs> one to read it, I, it's is it yeah oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> Yay, I'm excited. Well, you guys, um, be sure you go out and check out Start With Love in an Undead Age and um, run the table on the trilogy. And then also the, um, is it, I think it's still free, the prequel. Um, the prequel actually, um, I, I changed that to a newsletter sign up. Um, <gasps> oh, that's cool. That's smart. Yeah, you want that. an opportunity here. So if you sign up for my newsletter at my website, amgeever.com, 
you will get um, origin stories um, as a free ebook novella, basically. Awesome. Cool. Go do it, you guys. Um, and while you're getting books, Snaggletooth has come out about a month and a half ago. That's number five for me in the Patrick Flint series. Um, be sure you grab that. The um, next book in the series won't be coming out until the winter, but I've already written it. Wink, wink. Um, that is all I have for you today. So until next time, go out and read uh, Annie's AM Giver's books and Stay safe out there, everybody. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.